Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, hey everyone, I'm Mark Coulter, Pastor Mark from the Valley Church, and our Easter series is only a few weeks away, actually on March 14th. It's crazy to think about that. We kick off our Easter series called Where's the Lamb? And so it's going to be a four-week series that's going to culminate on Easter Sunday, really looking at the totality of Scripture over the metaphor that's used uh, throughout Scripture about the Lamb from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and then Jesus being the Lamb of God. So you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a really unique perspective on the Easter story, look under the totality of Scripture. I would encourage you to invite someone. Do you know someone who is struggling with meaning or purpose, anxiety, fear, even as we talk about fear of money today? Um, who do you know that you can invite to join you online or maybe if you live around us here in Ohio, you could join us on site. But again, that kicks off in just a few short weeks. Well, in 2018, Mark Zuckerberg, the Facebook CEO, lost $60 billion. $60 billion. Actually, let me correct it. He lost $15 billion. I'll get my numbers right. He lost $15 billion due to Facebook issues due to the market just kind of declining, $15 billion he lost. In fact, it's the single biggest loss that anyone in the United States has ever experienced. For him personally, that $15 billion was one quarter of his net worth. Now, the poor guy was left with only $60 billion. Um, So I don't know how he scraped by. I don't know how he made ends meet. But Obviously, probably a few of you watching today are worth $60 billion, but I've learned in life that no matter how much I have or how little I have, uh, financial fear can set in. Worry about money can set in. Concern about not only what I'm going to do to meet the needs today, but how am I going to meet the needs in the future? How am I going to be prepared for the future? We worry about things like, well, I have enough money to pay the bills the mortgage, the utilities. Well, I have enough money for the kids' braces, you know, or for any other unexpected expense of significant magnitude that comes up. Well, I have enough money for retirement. That's something I look at and say, man, if inflation continues, I look back like 30 years earlier and I'm like, things cost like a lot less. And if they inflate as much 30 years from now, what I think will be enough isn't even going to be close. And so worry can set in. You know, maybe you think, well, what, I, I can get enough, but what if some disaster, so what if some health issue, what if some job loss happens in the future? So even though you might be secure in the moment, the what ifs of the future really can drive a lot of fear to you financially, can really create a lot of stress. Uh, I feel like I might be a, an expert on this topic. They say if pastors preach about what they struggle, they'll never run out of material. And I think that is true in some ways, for sure. But financial fear is something that I've had to grapple with in my, especially adult life. It actually seems to have increased when I got married. It got a little bit more heavy than it was when I was single. And then when kids entered a picture, the heaviness of that financial fear or that do I have enough even got heavier. And so this is something that I'm on a journey with you on. If that's something that you struggle with or anything of the examples earlier when it comes to money and finances. And 
the have enough or the fear aspect of it. But I will say, as I continue to surrender this over to God, as I continue to apply the principles that we're, we're gonna look at today, God has continued to do a healing in my mind, in my heart, when it comes to money, when it comes to fear, when it comes to trusting him with everything that is his that he puts on loan to me. So I hope the same for you today. As you're watching, uh, continue to interact with your hosts. Let them know if you have any questions. I know money's a sensitive topic. I know we maybe don't wanna share some of the fears we have, but frankly, by, by sharing those, um, you're gonna help yourself on that healing process and on that discovery process, just like I am. Some of us maybe feel like the guy who said, I'm a walking economy. My hairline is in recession. My waist is a victim of inflation. And together they're putting me into a deep depression. Well, today we're gonna talk about not the fear of money. We're gonna talk about the opposite of that. We're gonna talk about the God who provides. I don't know if you knew this, but one of the names of God that's used in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, which means the God who provides. And so that's what he wants to do for me. That's what he wants to do for you. So let's look at an illustration from a scripture that Jesus shared, and then some incredible deep spiritual and life application truths that come out of it. So the setting is there's a rich guy, he has a problem. His problem is that his per acre yield is absolutely enormous. In fact, it is such a yield. Again, you're dealing with first century where that would have been sign of a, of a healthy economy and especially of wealth, uh, that his barns can't hold it. His barns are overflowing. There's not enough place to put the crops and to produce the yield. So he sits down and he comes up with a plan to deal with this challenge. Now, in this parable, he doesn't express any gratitude to God for his position, for, his, uh, for his, um, uh, what God's provided. He doesn't thank God for the sending and making the seed happen. He doesn't thank God for the rain that allowed the crops to grow. He doesn't thank God for the harvest. He doesn't thank God for keeping drought away and keeping uh, disease away. All he thinks about is that what he has is his and that these resources are for him to do as he pleases, okay? So we're gonna dive right in. We're actually, before we dive right in, I want you to look at this verse from Psalm 24.1. It says this, and this is what this guy forgot, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and just in case you didn't understand what everything is, he says the world and all who live in it, right? Everything, this is our first thing as we kind of dive into this today. Did you know that everything Everything and everyone in this world is God's. He is the creator of everything. And so when we put that in the right perspective, it's gonna change everything. Now, this guy sits down and he's reflecting on, okay, I have this abundance. I don't even have enough barns to keep all this stuff. What should I do? So if you join with me, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 12. We're gonna start in verses 18 and 19. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, do you think this guy has like an eye problem? <laughs> not, I'm not talking this eye, but an eye, the letter I problem. Did you notice that 12 times in this short little two verses, he references I or me or myself. 12 times he's so focused on him. And I, 
it's not, uh, it's not a surprise because financial fear makes us very myopic, does it not? It makes us very short-sighted. It makes us very narrow-minded. It makes us really focus on ourselves and our needs versus others. In fact, when this happens, when that financial fear grips us, it shuts out what God wants to do. It shuts out us thinking about others. It, it shuts out the possibilities that God wants to use us for to advance his work in this world because all we're doing is thinking about ourselves. Been there, done that, uh, resident expert on the topic, right? I mean, when I'm worried about the future, when I'm worried about how much we have in savings, when I'm worried about how much we don't have in checking, right? It's so much more difficult for me to think about others. It's so much more difficult to be focused on what's God's activity in this world. For this guy, enough is never enough. Uh, He needs more. In fact, he just wants to accumulate as much as possible and then retire. In fact, as I read this parable, I'm like, this guy would make a pretty decent American, (laughs) would he not? I mean, that's kind of the American way. And remember this, the American dream is not God's dream. Did you know that? The American dream is not God's dream. We're going to look at what God has to say about this. God's response to him is this. He says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night... Your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? See, God's reminding him very bluntly that everything that he has is on loan from God. Did you know that? Like, I know you work hard. I work hard. I know you're smart and you're accomplished and you're you're driven. It's so easy to think, well, you know, I bought that house, I bought that car, I bought that, you know, electronic gadget. That money in the bank account, that money in my 401k, because I'm a really good investor, that's mine. And God's saying, "Mm -mm. no, 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 no. Everything, right? Psalm 24, one I read earlier, everything is because God has given it to us. Now, Jesus is not saying in this text that it's bad to be rich. Sometimes that's taught, and that's not biblical. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of wealth. God chooses to bless some people with extraordinary wealth. That's not why the guy is being dishonest with what he has. That's not why God is so angry at him. So why did he call him a fool? Why did he say that? Here's why. This guy thinks he can secure his future by clinging on to what he has. He feels that if he can just get more, then he will be secure. In fact, he's driven by that fear of never having enough. This guy just thinks if I can just get more, if I can just accumulate more, if I can just keep more, then I'll be secure. Then I will have enough. Then I will have peace. And God, because God is of infinite wisdom, says you are absolutely out of your mind. That will never work. That is a clueless thing. And I think as you're listening to me now, you're like, God kind of knows what he's doing, right? Because we've walked in those same shoes thinking, man, if I can just hold on to more, if I can just earn more, if I can just gather more, then I'm not gonna worry about money. In fact, I've found that as I've made more money in life, my worry actually increases. It's kind of a crazy thing. I don't know about you, 
Maybe you can give a thumbs up emoji <laughs> if, you, if that's you, right? I mean, when I was in my 20s, not making quite as much, for whatever reason, I didn't tend to worry as much. Um, and then as I got older and, and the income's gone up some, then I worry more. It's, it's very interesting and very counterproductive, frankly. So Jesus is actually, he's waving a warning flag to us in this passage. In verse 15, he goes on, he says, and then he said to them, watch out. This is Jesus speaking, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What Jesus is saying is enough is never enough. The idea of financial security is an illusion. And I think if you've lived long enough, you realize that money by its very nature is insecure, right? Is it not? And if you're putting your security in something that by its nature is insecure, you're doing the logic with me, aren't we? Right. Then it's never gonna be secure, right? How many of us, especially if we invest, have had times when even last year or so, right? Boom. I mean, there was about a five month stretch where the dumbest thing I could have done was to look at my retirement account. Anyone else in that situation, right? I mean, just to do that, I remember telling my wife, I'm not even gonna look at it. Why even get depressed right now? Why even get anxious? It is what it is. I'm sure it's not very pretty and let's just ride this one out. Money is insecure. You just don't know. It, it's not one of those things you can just bank on always being there. It's just not how it works. In fact, even if you do all the right things, it still doesn't mean that that financial security is there. It's a very misguided and misleading concept to think that that's there. It doesn't mean that we're not wise with budgeting as I talked about last week and you're not wise with saving. The Bible addresses those things and is very adamant that we do both of those. But if we start putting our security in that money and our security in what we've accumulated, we're never gonna feel, we're always actually gonna be under fear. We're never gonna feel like we have enough. And then he goes on in Luke 21 and says this, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up for himself, but is not rich towards God, but is not rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? Well, hang on, I'm gonna address that before the end of the sermon today. And then as this passage uh, wraps up in Luke 31, it says, or verse 31, it says, the father will give you all you will need from day to day if you will make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Now, we have two children, Dylan's seven, Zalame's four, and I know at some point, it hasn't happened yet, but I know at some point we're gonna probably forget them at something. We're gonna think my wife and I are gonna get communication messed up, and I'm gonna think she has both of them, but one's staying behind, I'm supposed to pick up. Thankfully, we haven't done that yet, but I'm guessing at some point, we're gonna forget our kids, um, and not on purpose, <laughs> but we're gonna forget our kids. And if you know my children at all, it's very, very difficult to forget them because they're incredibly loud. But I share that illustration <laughs> with, with you that, do you know that God never forgets you? He hasn't, he hasn't forgotten you. This is where it gets a little personal. Some of you right now feel like God's totally forgotten about your finances. He's totally forgotten that you need a job. He's totally forgotten that you need more hours. He's totally forgotten that your spouse needs an income. He's totally forgotten that the bills keep piling up 
And I want you to know this today. He hasn't. He has not forgotten. He doesn't forget you. You matter so much to him, more than words can even explain. He's walking with you on this. I don't always know why prayers aren't answered immediately. I think a lot of it has to do that he wants us to be totally dependent on him and to trust that he will come through. The thing about God is that his economy, God's economy, never goes into recession. And he does. Just this, this is a promise. That verse 31 is a promise. He will give you all you need. Notice what it says, from day to day. He will meet your needs. He's a good dad. And what's it say in the Bible? A good father gives good gifts to his kids. A good earthly father gives good gifts to his kids. Can you imagine a perfect heavenly father and what gifts he wants to bestow upon you? Now, notice in this passage, it says he'll, he'll give you all you need from day to day if you will make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So for every promise in Scripture, there's a premise. For every promise, there's a premise. And when that word if shows up, that's a premise or a premise promise statement. And so what can we learn from this? Well, the first is this. This promise is available to everyone who does what? puts God first. If you make the kingdom of God, verse 31, your primary concern, this promise is available to everyone who puts God first. It doesn't take, actually, have you ever been engrossed in a project? Something that you love to do and, I mean, you're just into it. I don't know, maybe it's painting, maybe it's um, fly fishing, maybe it is doing puzzles. And you're just into it and the hours go by and you're oblivious to like everything. I mean, it's just consuming you. Or for those of you who married, if you remember back to your dating stages with your spouse where you would spend hours on the phone or, or send so many text messages that your thumbs were numb, right? I mean, and, and everyone else, or if you were with them at the restaurant, it was like just the two of you and no one else even seemed to be there. Everything and everyone kind of disappeared or dissipated. See, when something dominates your attention, it's what you love, right? It's, it has your heart. It has everything that is of you. See, something incredible happens when we become and grow rich towards God. He starts to put his heart into us. We start to think how he thinks. We want to spend time with him. We want to get to know him. We want what he wants. He replaces our selfishness with a selflessness. He replaces our fear with confidence. He replaces our, our, our neglect and our guilt with freedom. But we have to put God first. That's the, prom that's the premise of this. You have to put God first. He has to be number one. He can't just be another stone in your life. He can't just be another thing. He, that's what Old Testament says, he's a jealous God, not because he's, he has a, a self-confidence issue. It's because he so desperately wants his creation to return and reciprocate the love that he pours out. The second of, of the promise is this. This promise is available to everyone who pays God first. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the biblical concept of tithing. 
And so Malachi 3 is a passage we're going to look at, some other passages. It's not an Old Testament. Tithing means one-tenth. It's a first-fruit concept going back even to the book of Genesis. And the idea is, it's God's idea, number one, is that not only does everything belong to him, and be, but think about how gracious he is. He says that then we are to return to him the first 10% of what he's given us. It's kind of amazing. We think that's a lot and we're like, but like it's actually all his. He could say return 50% of it, 60% of it, all of it, you know, but he says the first 10%. He said, and actually Malachi 3, as we look at next week, is going to say, and if we don't, God says that's stealing from him. In fact, it's the only time in the Bible where he says, test me, test me on this and see if you respond by, by giving back to me what's already mine to begin with, that I, I won't bless the daylights out of you, that you won't see God's provision as supernatural power working f- uh, for you in incredible ways. Something we're going to kick off next week, or actually even talk about today, if you need time to pray about, it, is a three-month tithe challenge. And it just says this, you'll see it on your screen. I think your host will be able to show that to you. Countless people experience God's blessing when they tithe, but often the first step is the hardest one to take. And I, I get that. The three-month tithe challenge is a money-back guarantee of sorts. Essentially, it's a contract based on God's promises in Malachi verse th- chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And here's our commitment to you. If you tithe for three months, if you give the first 10% back to him and God doesn't hold true to his promises, we will refund as a church, we will refund 100%. I'm serious as can be. After three months of you responding in obedience to him, if he does not, if you do not see him work in your life in some incredible way, you shoot me an email, you shoot me a text message, uh, and I will, I will have our finance team uh, office cut a check and send it right back. I am dead serious. We, we believe in God's promise so much. And frankly, I could parade people up here on the stage for the next hour or two just from the Valley Church of saying, sharing story after story of when they stepped out in obedience, when they took this step of faith, it is a step of faith, that then they saw God work in their lives. And I'm not talking they gave 1,000 and got 10,000. We don't necessarily adhere to that that kind of prosperity theology, but they saw God's blessing in their life in ways that were unmistakable. I mean, there was no other way to explain it. In fact, um, it's something, the first 10% is something that my wife and I have done when we, we did when we were single. We've done uh, almost eight years of being married, and it's not always been easy. That's, I don't want you to think, oh, it's just a piece of cake to cut that check, or it's a piece of cake to have that withdrawn. I mean, there's been seasons where we started out our marriage with two mortgages, there was when we were when we were adopting our children. That was that was an expensive process. There were times when the cars weren't working well. There was times when things broke unexpectedly, just like everyone else. There was times when my wife was in graduate school and we were paying off her undergrad and my graduate loans at all at the same time. That was fantastic. When it would have been so easy, it was tempting at times. Said, man, if we just held back and just paid this off. It's not bad, God, like, you know, you're how to rationalize. You're like, hey, I'm paying them down my debt, God. But no, we stayed the course and we saw God bless us in so many incredible ways. In fact, sometimes God felt like he was slow in fulfilling his promises to us, but he was never late. Never late. We always had the money that we need, especially those early years of marriage when things were really tight. He always provided always provided exactly 
what we needed, probably in ways that we wouldn't even know this side of heaven, ways he protected our health, ways he protected our cars, ways he protected our house. I mean, I don't know. Um, those are things I think he'll reveal to us at a later date. Now, honestly, this is not us bragging. Well, actually, it kind of is, but it's about us bragging on God. I want to brag on God today that God is always faithful of fulfilling his promise. And when we don't release, and I, I know one of the hardest things to do is to release the wallet, the bank account. I get it. But when we do that, God will reveal himself in ways that you've never seen. I could, so many stories that have strengthened my personal faith have been financially related by stepping out on obedience to what he's asked us to do. In fact, I would say this, and this sounds pretty, pretty intense, but it's true, and I say this very lovingly. I say this for myself more than anyone. If you say that Jesus is number one in your life and he's not number one in our finances, then he's not first. We're just kidding ourselves. I know that sounds so blunt, and I'm, I'm saying this just as much for me as anyone. I have to do that audit all the time of making sure I'm not holding on to things to make sure that I'm not being uh, as generous or, uh, as I should be. Uh, sometimes I'm not even consulting him on, on generosity or on, on money matters because I think I, I got my budget figured out, I'm good to go, and maybe he's wanting to say, Mark, you need to make this adjustment. And so it is a daily decision I feel I have to make to say, God, you're number one. And if I'm going to say you're number one, if I'm going to live this life and be an example to you, then God, give me the power, give me the strength that you can be number one with money too. Because if you're not number one with money, I can't say that you're first in every area of my life. See, what we possess, what we possess is only temporary. It really is. It's such a short time we're here. It really, and, and what we have, and think about this. Think about the, some of the coolest stuff you had growing up or even a couple years ago, and where is it now? Probably sent it to Goodwill or you trashed it or it broke or it's in a landfill somewhere, right? I mean, so many things, even some of the most prized things. Some of your cars that you spent a lot of money on 20, 30 years ago, they're just rust these days, are they not? Our stuff is so temporary. In fact, this 21st verse of Luke 12 that we're looking at in the New Living Translation says this, yes, a person's a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. See, when our hearts have been truly changed by Jesus, we are willing to give generously. And I believe today's a good day to start that. What's that look like for you? Maybe the Holy Spirit's been talking to you, to you throughout the three weeks of this series. So what's, what's he been speaking to you? He's been speaking to me about a whole new level of generosity. He's been challenging me. What's he been challenging you? Has he been challenging? I jotted a few things down. What about tithing? Maybe he's challenging you to sell something. Maybe he's challenging you to start a budget. Maybe he's challenging you to live on less. Maybe he's uh, challenging you to incredible generosity. Maybe even as we talked about last week, he's challenging you to join 
that Financial Peace University class that we're starting with Ron and Tori Koblenz. If you haven't done that, if you want to take that first step, if you're just tired of having debt in your life and you want a debt plan, if you're tired of not having a budget, want to get a budget plan, if you just want to have some people you get to know and talk about money and talk about it in a healthy way and learn from each other, Financial Peace is for you. It's only $99. I'm telling you, if money's tight right now, we will scholarship, we will cover half or all of it. Don't worry about the cost. Uh, and you can just text FPU, Financial Peace University, FPU to 937-358-6565. You can go to our app, the Valley Church app, and sign up there. Or just let one of our hosts know right now. Um, we would love to get you on that pathway to financial freedom. So what's God been challenging you? How has he been challenging you? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Not just saying, well, this is nice information, Mark. You seem like a decent guy. I guess I'll listen to you. No, what's God telling you? What's he speaking to you about? I guarantee, myself included, he's speaking and challenging us to take some step. Here's what it comes down to as we wrap up today. Here's my overarching question. You'll see it on your screen. Do you want more stuff or do you want more stories? I used this in a sermon a year, maybe two years ago, and I just, it really stuck with me. Do you want more stuff or do you want more stories? Here's what I mean by that. When we use what God's given us, not living in fear, not holding on to it like the gentleman in this story, but we release it and we say, God, whatever you want to do, it creates more stories that are told. It's the story of, and, and thank you for your generosity, the Troy community, for the people in Texas. I mean, this place was flooded, um, uh, had, a, no pun intended, had a lot of water here. Uh, as far as uh, bottled water that came in, we had a lot of uh, diapers that came in, a lot of formula that came in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Those of you who invested in that are creating more stories that can be told. Those people who receive that are, are going to know that they're loved by someone, hopefully loved by Jesus Christ. And when you invest in Operation Christmas Child, that's going to be stories. That's not stuff. That's not stuff you're keeping. You used your money to buy things so that kids could hear about the story of Jesus Christ and the story of their life can change. When people give to the mission of the Valley Church, which has changed lives that are changing lives in our community, when you give to the mission of the Valley Church, no matter where you live, you're part of the stories that happen here, the stories of kids giving their life to Jesus Christ, the stories of the, the, over almost 30 people in the two years we've existed who've been baptized, almost 30 people who've been baptized and said, Jesus is the leader of my life. You're part of those stories. You're part of the stories of teenagers who discover that and, and decide as a teenager, I want to give my life for Jesus Christ. I want to serve him. I'm willing to do whatever he asks me to do. You're part of the story of seeing marriages restored. You're part of the story when people are healed in their mind and healed physically. You're part of that story. You get in my drift? Do you want more stuff or do you want more stories? I choose stories. I want to use what God's given me, what he's entrusted me, not to build more things to keep it in, not to hoard more around me, not to live in fear, not to have greater anxiety, greater uh, concern about the future. I just want to trust God. And I want to be able to be a faithful steward of what he's given to me. And I want to be able to not be clenched, but to release it so that more stories of life change can happen. So more stories of people who are hurting can receive what they need. So more stories of those who are so poor can, can receive the basic things that they need to survive. For those who are orphaned and for those who are widowed, 
that they can get their needs met because of our generosity. Folks, if the church isn't doing it, who will? The body of Christ, those who say they're Jesus followers, we have to be rich towards others. That's what he's talking about. Be rich towards God. Be rich towards God. And then if you make his kingdom your top price concern, what's his kingdom? It's his rule and reign in the hearts of people. It's seeing God's power take over this world. And how's it happen? By those who are true, authentic followers of Jesus Christ, releasing to him to make a difference in the lives of others. I want to close with this verse before we pray today. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. All your needs. Folks, you don't need to worry. You don't need to live in fear. You don't need to live in scarcity mentality. The creator of all things, the giver of all things, God, the provider, Jehovah Jireh, he will meet your needs. He will blow your socks off. What do you need to do? You need to trust God. You need to put God first. You need to put him first and then obey what he asked you to do. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray right now that we would, all around this world as people are watching today, that we would surrender our money to you, we would surrender our stuff to you, we would, we, we would allow you to drive out fear. God, for anyone watching today who is just crippled by fear and, and very legitimate things, a job loss, a health issue that's cost them employment, mounting medical bills, all those different things that are uh, just a, a painful aspect of life, God, I pray that your peace would flood over them. God, I pray that maybe other people would sense the call to generosity, not knowing everyone's story, but just that call to generosity and help each other out. God, I pray that we would put you first, that we would trust you, that we would realize and have that perspective mentality as we talked about last week, that everything is on loan. It's all because you're a good dad who's given to us and we are to use it to bless others, to bless you, and to see your rule and reign expand. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend. Because changed lives, changed lives.